Hello, and welcome to the Atomicast. This week, it's just me and Ed. Alex is off in the special ops trenches doing something for Argo AI. So it's just the two of us. And we're trying a little bit of a different format. It's something that you might be listening to more frequently in the weeks ahead. We're going to combine our news discussions with our special guests. So later on in this episode, you're going to be hearing an interview with Raul Bravo, the president and co-founder of Outsight. And it's an interesting company. It's a sensor company, but not in the conventional um, conventional sensor sense that we think of when it comes to AVs, things like LiDAR and radar. They call their sensor a 3D semantic camera, uh, essentially an active hyperspectral imaging sensor. And we'll get all into that. But the reason why this is timely, and Ed and I are going to talk a bit about it now, is because there's some trend, a little shift within the uh, sensor industry. Not just that there's consolidation starting to happen within LIDARs, but it appears, and Ed, I'm curious what you think about this, and maybe you have some examples, but autonomous vehicle companies seem to be looking to plug weak points in the traditional sensor suite with new modalities. Have you been seeing uh, cases like this? Yeah, so I think the the example of this um, that that jumps out the most is um, uh, actually just recently announced, uh, uh, and it's something that both Alex Roy and I have been talking about for some time, which is uh, use of thermal imaging. One of the one of the big issues in in automotive safety is is obviously vulnerable road users. Uh, statistics are going the wrong way on on that safety. Um, and and uh, you know, thermal imaging is is a really great way. Uh, to address some of that stuff, both for ADAS uh, driver assistance and and also for full autonomy. So we see, um, uh, I think we saw sort of last year at CES, Twitter Research Institute talked about putting thermal in their uh, sensor suite. We haven't really heard much about that since. Um, and maybe they'll update us this year. But then um, just recently, uh, just yeah, end of October, so not that long ago, um, uh, FLIR, the the you know thermal imaging giant, um, announced a deal with Vianeer. Um, uh, to put a, uh, a thermal sensor of theirs into a self-driving sensor stack, and you know, I think if you think about, um, you know, both um, radar and lidar are maybe not always the most ideal sensor for detecting humans, um, and photo uh, camera like like computer vision is is fairly good, but like it's it's just not as reliable as it kind of needs to be for for safety critical um, applications. So. Um, yeah, and, and and that's kind of how I think of of Outsight um, a little bit, and what they're doing is that um, it just sort of provides something that's not going to necessarily like completely change the game or become the sensor that that AV stacks are built around, but it's it, it seems to have some real promise at sort of like you said, plugging these holes uh, that that exist in the sort of conventional sensor stack. What do you think is going to happen to, let's say, a company like Outside? And this isn't, again, to like sit there and try and debunk their technology or anything, but really to talk more about how they fit in the market today. Are they ahead of their time? Are they um, in this perfect sweet spot? Um, I mean, we can only go based on what we know and, and what the audience is about to hear as well. And do you have any forecasts? It's, it's interesting. It's tough to say because... Um, 
you know, I, I, I don't think we got down into the technical detail enough to really understand sort of what kind of challenges it would present for a company that's already sort of a certain way down the, down the field uh, using sort of the traditional uh, camera, LIDAR, radar suite. Like how hard would it be to incorporate this? Uh, I think certainly, you know, if, if they use it in the way we've sort of been discussing of, you know, just focusing it on certain really tough problem areas where it, it shows some potential for, for really helping, um, you know, maybe that, you know, and, and it's easy to incorporate, then they may have um, uh, some interest in, and, and some options uh, fairly soon. Uh, I think in general, sort of my base case, though, for any kind of sensor startup um, is that ultimately they're probably either going to either have to partner with a tier one supplier uh, or maybe potentially even be bought at some point by, by a tier one supplier. It's funny because um, Silicon Valley, for years now, since it's been getting into the mobility space, it's talked about disrupting the automakers. And I think as we've discussed on the show before, uh, what actually seems to be happening in a lot of cases is that the threat is more really to tier one suppliers. And, and by extension, the opportunity exists, I think, for a lot of tier one suppliers um, to sort of look at these startups as uh, little incubators for for new exciting ideas that maybe they wouldn't be able to incubate in house, um, but to then bring them and 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 help take them to automotive grade. As again, we saw, you know, even even Velodyne, which is like the biggest oldest sort of lidar startup, quote unquote, uh, is partnering with with Viennier, um to basically get their lidar up to automotive grade. So uh, I think ultimately, yeah, some kind of either deep relationship with or 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 uh, you know perhaps being be bought sort of absorbed into a, a tier one supplier. That's just the most the most likely base case, I would say. Sure. And we'll probably see that happening with um, a number of, of companies as we've talked about before. So without further ado, we should probably get to this interview. And please, audience, um, we'd love to hear what you think. So reach out to us via Twitter um, at the Atonicast or I guess to Tweetermeyer. You can DM him as well. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at Kirsten Korosak or at AlexRoy144. So joining us today from the company Outsight, we have Raul Bravo. Raul, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> Hi. So, um, so you're working on a sensor that is uh, unlike anything else, I think, that we really see in in the autonomous driving or automated driving space. Um, and it's, it's based sort of on a, a fundamental type of technology that's been around, although just not in this space. So, and, and it's called spectral imaging. So, so just at a, at a very high level, sort of what is uh, uh, spectral imaging, sort of this core technology that, that your, your new sensor type is based on and, and sort of where does it come from? Where has it been developed? Well, if you look uh, even, uh, let's say, a normal camera, 2D camera, uh, in fact, even if you are seeing a lot of colors, you can uh, look at this as, as a combination of uh, red, green, and blue components. Yeah? And mm -hmm. these colors, let's say, are different spectral bands in the electromagnetic spectrum. So there are different wavelengths. Mm -hmm. So when you see, by example, a green leaf in a tree, this is just green because the red and blue wavelengths are not being reflected. So that's why you're seeing the green. So spectral imaging is 
means just that making a sense of how different wavelengths are being reflected of on the objects. And if you do the same thing as I was saying in the in the virtual visual spectrum, and you do the same thing in other bands of the spectrum, like infrared are different uh, parts of the, of the spectrum, then the same principle, you can apply it and see how different wavelengths are reflecting or not. And this helps to understand what's the material of the object you are looking at, because different materials are reflecting different wavelengths or not. And, and so it's just extending the same principle of to the cameras to any part of the spectrum. Uh, this has been used in, in a lot of different markets and segments like uh, agriculture, in, in satellite observation, etc. etc. Uh, the difference of what we are doing here, and we can talk in more details if you want, is that the image is not only created by external light sources like the sun or other sources, but we are generating our own light, which mm. means that we are active, hyperspectral or multispectral instead of passive, which means that you are relying on external light source. This is the main difference between a hyperspectral camera, let's say, and an active hyperspectral. How are you creating that external light source? So we are using a, a laser, which is a very special laser because we call it a broadband laser for this reason, because he's, this laser is not creating a single wavelength, but a full set of wavelengths. And this is uh, what allows us to collect the response, let's say. Uh, so it's, it's a laser pulse. You could imagine this as a, an amount of light which is traveling on the air, is bouncing back from the object, so you can know the distance, because if you count the time it takes to come back and you know the speed of light, you, you can know what's the distance. This is what we call time of flight. And depending on what what is the light that is being uh, reflected, then you can know what's the object. What is his skin, plastic, metal, snow, etc. And so this broadband laser, um, you know, what what parts of the spectrum is it is it able to uh, to project, right? So so um, because otherwise, right? I mean, it, it sounds to some extent, right? Like lidar, Li lidar is is you know, it's a you know, you fire a laser and and you get time of flight, and and so it's really good for ranging. But but what what this is doing is is classification, which generally speaking, LIDAR isn't as good at. Um, and it seems to me that one of the key differences is the fact that you're using a, a broadband laser. Um, talk about, about, about what, what that is, where that comes from, and, and, and how it's different than what a traditional LIDAR would use. Well, we, you're, you're right. We are uh, certainly making part, uh, part of what we are doing is what a LIDAR is doing. It's just we are doing much more. But the ranging part, knowing how far the objects are. This is what a LiDAR is doing, and we are also doing that. Uh, but of course, this is just a small part of what we are doing. The other is this classification. And uh, and the the way we are looking at the spectrum is what we call a sphere. So it's short wave uh, infrared. So it's the uh, 
higher on the spectral in the spectrum than the visible wavelength, mm-hmm. which is very important that it's not close to the visible because this is what allows it to be IA saved. Because if it's very close to uh, the colors you can see, then uh, potentially you could uh, you could be hurt with the laser light if it was too powerful. But this is not the case because we're far away, let's say, on the spectrum uh, compared to the visible. And so, but you're right. Uh, part of what we are doing is what lidars could uh, normally do. Are you the only company that is taking this specific approach? For making a laser, single laser broadband spectrum in a small embedded product, our, uh, to our knowledge, yes. Making uh, hyperspectral imaging, etc., absolutely not. This is something that has been done for years and years. Uh, the, the key point here is making it with a laser, active laser, and being able to decode the returning signal in real time because the target is to be able to react very quickly depending what you are seeing. If you are making hyperspectral imaging in other industries, most of the time you don't care so much how long it takes to process the data. Yeah, So you don't really need real time in most of the cases. Here, the, the, the challenge is different because you want both to see far away, which is active, and in real time. So to our knowledge, yes, uh, we're, we, don't, we don't see any, any other similar approach. So you call this a, a semantic camera. Um, and I'm re- you know, so everyone knows right, LiDAR will return a point cloud, um, which is why it's good at, at ranging, but but not necessarily as good at, at classification. You know, what does your what does your sensor output essentially like? What what does that look like? Um, you know, the, the the image like how, how do you, how do you visualize this combination of ranging, but then also sort of spectrographic identification? Uh, well, first, uh, happy that the word uh, semantic was understood because we were really trying to find the right word to say that it's a device which is not just seeing. It's understanding that that's the objective. Yeah, saying that the output is meaningful or uh, data which can be uh, directly actionable by the by the customer. So, by example, if you take the example of a typical lidar, as you say, the, the the raw data is being sent as point clouds. So you have the distance and the intensity or the, the position and intensity. Uh, w- what we are saying is that meaningful uh, actionable data is adding information to each point that uh, explains what it is. By example, saying that this point is drivable road. This point is not just another point. It's a marking of the road. This other point is moving this other point is belonging to an object which we call movable, means that it's not moving, but could start moving anytime, which is different from a building. In that case, the points that are hitting the building are being classified as fixed. So one thing, first thing is this knowledge. We are delivering this uh, comprehension. Another thing is what's the output, because once you know that 
these points are drivable road, the output could be give me everything which is not the road because I'm not interested in the road. I'm only interested in moving things, by example. But in other applications like lane keeping, it could be the opposite. It's give me only the markings and nothing else. So the output depends on the application. Uh, it depends on what you want. Because otherwise, if you have a row point cloud, you have all the data without any meaning attached to, to, to this. So you are obligated to send all the data through the network, consuming bandwidth, which, by the way, are not yet there in serious cars. So you don't even have the, the, the bandwidth today. And you are go not going to be able to discriminate before all the data is in a central processing unit, et cetera, et cetera. What we are saying here is that the sensor itself, the device, can give you only meaningful data. And meaningful means different things depending on, on the application. Yeah. I wanted to quickly follow up on um, early on in your explanation, you were talking about the ability to um, understand if a, a, an object is about to move as opposed to, let's say, a building. Mm -hmm. How are you able to do that? How exactly we do it, this is something we cannot exactly explain because it's one of our uh, secret souls. And, but just just to give you uh, some hints is that when, when you are using machine learning to uh, analyze what's happening, in fact, you are not fundamentally making links between cause and effect. You are more making correlations. It's because I have seen something in the past, which seems like what I'm seeing now, I'm going to say with a certain confidence confidence level that it's the same thing. Yeah? That's mostly the, the very high level approach. What we are saying is that there are things in the planet Earth that are not happening by luck. There are things, there are truths that are always there. By example, gravity. If you let a, an object, you know that it's going to fall down. And this is, you don't need to see this happening millions of times to find a correlation with the next time you do that to understand that it's going to fall because you can make the assumption that you are on planet Earth. And on planet Earth, there is something which is called gravity. Yeah. So uh, we, what we are doing is applying uh, first principles, things that are always true in, in a certain context, let's say, uh, in the earth, for example, uh, that allows us to have a certain class level of classification. And one of the things you, you can uh, understand is that things that are uh, about to move are different from things that are totally fixed. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. 
Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Thanks. You mentioned sort of ADAS and, and, and autonomy applications. Can you just sort of talk about sort of how you envision, let's, let's start with ADAS sort of, would this be the primary sensor for an ADAS system? Would this be a complementary sensor sort of in an ADAS application? Sort of what, how do you envision your sensor sort of fitting into those tasks? And then we'll, and then we'll move into the autonomy. Yeah. Well, we don't see uh, in, in advanced ADAS or uh, this has been uh, uh, the only sensor. There is no sensor that can be the only one even if it's very robust or whatever, just for uh, uh, fundamental reasons is that you always need redundancy and, and, and that's how it works on, 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 the, on the safety. So sure. in any case, you need uh, redundancy. But that's more one of the reasons we, we think there is uh, a place for smart sensors like this is that you need to have different sensing capabilities that are good enough by themselves because redundancy doesn't mean that two weak sensors can make up a solution. Redundancy means that each one should be good enough. So in case they fail, you can rely on the other. If you need to combine things that are not good by themselves or not good enough, then you are, this is good. You, you, you absolutely need to do that. So you have one solution, but then it's not a redundant solution. Redundant means, would mean that each branch, let's say, of the solution is uh, robust enough and good enough. So uh, I would say we're not saying that this is the only sensor is going to, to be on ADAS. And I don't think no one is really claiming that in other kind of sensors you always need different different things but what but i have a question about that so would how do you see this fitting in to the suite of sensors do you see it understanding that that it it, it wouldn't necessarily be a standalone but is it possible to replace any of the sensors that are currently being used you know you've got a combination typically of cameras radar and lidar so moving moving into full autonomy applications here. Right, yeah. right. So do you see this as um, replacing any of those or again, you know, now being a fourth, essentially a fourth sensor? Well, as you were saying at the beginning, uh, we are doing 3D ranging. Of course, we are doing also the material ID and, and the velocity of objects, etc. But uh, as far as we are delivering a 3D range and intensity uh, at long range. Mm, the, the, the main sensor which is currently doing that is, is LiDAR. So if there are some situations where uh, we could eventually replace something with be, with be the LiDAR because radar is, is already established thing and, and has some good uh, characteristics. If we were in a situation where would replace another sensor, it is a big overlap with LiDAR, of course, more than, than the others. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so let's, let's just, just walk us through sort of a, a, an autonomous vehicle is, is, is driving down the road, right? Um, one of them or two of them are driving down the road, same road, maybe it's simulation or something, but, but, uh, well, I guess it would have to be real world, but, um, you know, what, one of them has your 3d semantic camera in addition to LIDAR camera and, and radar. Uh, the other one just has LIDAR camera and radar. Um, what is the advantage uh, in a given street scene um, going to be for the one that has that has your sensor? Is it is it going to um, just is is it is it really just about that extra layer of redundancy, or is there a certain kind of performance that will happen faster or more efficiently? Yeah, well, even even, even without talking about uh, comparing to lidar. Just compared to 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 a driver, yeah, which is let's say a good benchmark, yeah. Th- today there are thousands of death because of black eyes on the road. There are hundreds of thousands of injured because of sliding in in, in a road which is wet or or that has black eyes. So detecting the presence or the the fact that the road is wet or you have uh, or, or you have a black eyes, it's today a non-existing feature of any kind of sensor. Right. It doesn't exist. So, which means that uh, any any car, including, uh, uh, well, of course, the driver has eyes and, and that's standing, but, uh, it's, so it's a very smart uh, sensor, let's say. But in, in any case, uh, if you don't have this capability, you are at least uh, blind to, to these things. Yeah. So that's one very easy uh, example, and then you can get into more uh, in, uh, in other examples where we are uh, making the processing uh, without machine learning on the sensor, which means that we are making it very fast without uh, this the latency you would have uh, if you need to send the data through the network, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So potentially situations when you make you need to make a decision very, very quickly. Uh, at least this is the capability we, we are aiming to have. I'm not saying you cannot do otherwise. It's not, no, it's not true, but it's easier to do if you are making on the edge, so in the sensor itself, uh, without machine learning uh, in real time. And, and, and just to, if, you know, if you're not using machine learning, you still need to correlate, right, what the sensor is seeing with with some sense of meaning, right? For example, you know, ice, right? Like the the, the camera will output the chemical composition that, that's being seen through through spectrography. Yeah. But then, you know, how, how is that correlation taking place if it's not using machine learning? So you you have a kind of library, let's say. Uh-huh. So you 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 know what is the uh, what the signature of uh, black eyes looks like? Mm. Yeah. So you 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 can uh, compare with uh, with the reference, let's say, of of, of what you what you know that are uh, that is black ice or snow or water that are very different. In fact, the the, the signature uh, it's, from the infrared right. perspective, they are very different. So yeah, you you have a a reference. Uh, a library. So we are using AI. It's, it's just not machine learning. It's, it's, 
it's, it's just that machine learning is not the only AI technique. Yeah, it's mm. we're just saying that you, we are not using a huge uh, data sets of to as, as a reference. You mentioned though that the, in the black eyes example that there there's a signature. So to me that connotates that there there is obviously some data that you must be using to be able to mm-hmm. understand what that you know unique signature is to black eyes as opposed to just a wet slick road. Um, so are you able to explain? what type of data you're using yeah, and how that's different than maybe the image sets or data sets that you would use for machine learning? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, not using uh, uh, machine learning on data sets, it doesn't mean that you cannot use data uh, that you know as information. So if you uh, want to know what's the spectral uh, response of eyes, in the infrared, this is noun. This is the, something that have been measured and, 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 and is used in other industries, etc. So it's not something we discovered or we invented. And it's a specific signature, right? It's just it, that's yeah, the exactly. chemical composition, yeah. right? Right. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So the difference uh, with machine learning is different to compare. It's complicated to compare because it's really different. Is that we are not talking about huge amounts of data sets that uh, try to discover what are the features or what would be the signature. The signature is noun. You just need to, uh, to, to be able to first measure, see what, what's happening, and second, compare uh, with the signature, which is not so easy because uh, it depends on different things, etc. But um, the, the, the true... The truth uh, is, uh, is science. It's not uh, discovery based on data sets. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it, it seems to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it seems like sort of uh, machine learning inference, like with cameras, for example, is sort of very broadly flexible to adapt to all kinds of different situations because, you know, as you say, it's 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 inferring based on its data sets. Um, but then that that flexibility also comes with the downside that it's not always going to be 100% accurate because it's inferring rather than directly measuring. So so is it would you say that that your semantic camera like maybe the 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 way that it would work is is sort of plugging that that weakness a little bit where maybe if you have a sense of okay and and, and maybe black ice is one example, you know, okay we know that that that's something that camera has a really hard time sort of uh, uh, uh defining that that we can sort of because you have to build the library for your for your system still, right? In- instead of just feeding it a bunch of data, you have to sort of know, okay, these are the specific things that our other sensor modalities are having a hard time, uh, uh, you know, getting down to that sort of nine nines of, of accuracy. And so we cr- build a library around the weak points of our other sensor modalities. And, and, this, ca- and this, this semantic camera is going to then sort of uh, maybe not be as broadly flexible as a machine learning a vision system or something like that, but that it's going to always know exactly. Okay, this situation or this 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 kind of object that um that maybe a camera has a hard time inferring, uh, it's going to be able to directly measure it, and 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 so it trades off maybe a little flexibility for that 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 sort of ground truth kind of specific accuracy. Is that is that a fair way of thinking about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's um it's a good 
way to put it is that you are following different objectives and different ways to get there. So it's almost the opposite. One is, and, and so you need both, yeah, or, or to combine both to get to the, the good results is that one is uh, measuring, yeah, it's what we are doing is, is there a skin or not, yeah? Yep. Uh, another one is uh, inferring things is this object that I'm seeing, uh, it seems like a human right. because I have seen millions of these. Uh, they have been labeled like as humans or pedestrians. So this occurrence I have, I can infer that it's also human. So both are correct and, and false because uh, even if we are seeing uh, skin, well, we cannot say this is a human. We are just saying this is skin, which potentially can lead very, very easily to know that this is a pedestrian, but we are not saying this is a pedestrian. We are saying this is skin. And by the way, there is cotton also uh, there. And by the way, it makes uh, one meter and 70 centimeters high. Yeah, But mm-hmm. these are also all only measurements. These are not uh, guess or inference. And then you have exactly the opposite is coming top down, let's say, which is saying, I don't know what it is. I just know that they have seen a million of these things and this thing that I'm seeing is very similar. So uh, if you get both, then you can get a very good result. So that's uh, a good way to put it is that one is measuring things and the other one is inferring things from correlations. Yeah. And both are useful. This, this reminds me, actually, we just had Jack Wiest from Intel on, and it seems like this is something, he's not the only person working in, in self-driving vehicle development where, you know, he, he basically, the way he put it is that, you know, you need to have sort of a probabilistic approach uh, in order to have the flexibility to drive. But then, you know, to really ensure safety, you have to find a way uh, to bring a sort of deterministic assessment of is what is either is what we're seeing really what we're seeing or in in the case of what he was talking about you know is the is the uh the the sort of p- path planning that we're about to do actually going to be safe and so they have sort of a, a a deterministic checker system that sort of you know balances out the the weaknesses potentially of a of a probabilistic uh uh you know ai system and it seems like this is sort of almost another way to do that on the on the perception level rather than on the, the planning level? I would say it's we are delivering a way to enforce this vision. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly that is you have a deterministic, analytical, uh, cause effect, you can, you name it as you want, but things that are based on evidence, that is based on, on, on cause effect. And this, uh, and then you have probabilistic uh, correlation, inference, et cetera, et cetera. And if uh, you want to build a safe system, uh, even if you don't know what is this object in front of you because you don't have the time, by example, to inference uh, what is, you know, if it's a van or a car, but if you know that it's in your trajectory, in your lane, and given the velocity you're going to crash, you don't need to know what it is. You can just break, yeah? So you need both. So I would say that measuring that what we have in front of us has metal, has uh, you know uh, glass, uh, etc. 
it helps to enforce this uh, evidence-based deterministic decision-making, which is not probabilistic. And, and then if you have time, uh, then you, you can make higher level uh, decisions. You, you can think about that as more or less how the human brain works. Yeah, If you are driving and you see something which is crossing your path, etc., even before knowing what it is, you're going to have the reaction of braking or slowing down, etc., even if you don't know what it is. Yeah? And if you have more time, then you are going to use your brain, which is slower and is, is, has a lot of, let's say, power consumption uh, compared to your, you know, your reactions. Uh, in, if you have time, you're going to see if this was exactly uh, what it is, this object. Yeah? So it's similar. You, you need both to drive. Yeah? You need kind of reactions that are keeping you alive, even in situations that you didn't expect. And you need more uh, sophisticated, high-level reasoning that is going to help to understand if this thing, which is not in your trajectory, but because the behavior they have looks similar to something you already saw, then means that probably is going to cross your path some way, etc. So you need to be careful, etc., etc. You know, so you need both. Yeah. And so we are just giving a way, a new way to have more information that is helping you yeah. in the evidence-based. Um, it really, it's just what I, I'm wondering. It sounds like this might be something that might be useful potentially in terms of uh, generating training data. Um, because again, I mean, you you can sort of uh, have a a deterministic uh, check on on how your inference is doing almost in real time. I mean, is this? Do you see this also as a as a tool for for collecting data where you can you know you can uh, sort of have uh, or or for validation for the development work? Like, is this is this basically a a tool that people could use in in development, whether that's collecting training data and sort of labeling it in real time, or whether it's as a validation thing in development, you see it as a development tool as much as a, 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 a something that would be in the end product, or is it both? Or um, how do you think about that opportunity? Well, I, I would say it's uh, it's like any any uh, new sensing device is that even if you are uh, targeting to use it as a as a product in the final car or, or vehicle or whatever, uh, first step or even parallel path it's also to use it uh, of course to train models to make maps etc this is what's happening with you were talking about intel with mobile etc they're both using this to create maps and to uh, embed it in the in, in the car and, and both are uh, feeling each other yeah so it's it's uh, it's a similar and this is exactly what's happening with lidar what's happening uh, so it's that the industry is using these new sensors for both, yeah, for creating the reference, for developing, for understanding better the, the ground truth, let's say, the reality. Yep. So when they embed it in, in the final vehicle, they can take advantage of this knowledge. So same thing, it probably is, is, is the, right, the right answer, yeah. B- both things are needed and useful. So my my question was related in a, a bit uh, to what Ed was talking about when he was talking about the the training data and how it was potentially could be used for for training data. So what is the business model of of outside? Is it to um, 
work specifically with autonomous vehicle developers? Is it to offer different applications? Um, so including um, automakers with ADAS, or is it to you know offer an, an application, for example, that would help with training data? I mean, is it? Are you focusing on one or many? Can you explain your business model or what what it's developing or shaping up to be? Yeah. So, well, first, uh, well, here of course we focusing on, on automotive, but we are working in other industries like uh, smart monitoring for airports, malls, uh, and, and, and venues. So, different markets have different needs. So our answer is not the same on this uh, smart monitoring market where we are delivering uh, a solution. It's not even the sensor, it's the whole solution. In the case of automotive, we are uh, targeting the ADAS specifically for several reasons. But uh, one is that we, we know for sure that we are adding, uh, we can add a significant value uh, which translates into less accidents, uh, that uh, a huge impact today or as soon, let's say, as uh, current cars are equipped. So from the target perspective, we are more targeting the ADAS uh, market. From the business model perspective, which is linked to the other, is that we, we don't think that uh, a startup can become a tier one uh, quickly and easily. And we think that tier one uh, suppliers in automotive are really adding value and they have experience and knowledge, which is not easy to replicate. So our business model is to uh, work with these key players in the market so we can uh, industrialize the, the solutions to deliver to different OEMs with them. So this is the, our business model is to partner with, with tier one suppliers. What is your time frame? Like how long have you been working on this and, and sort of how, how far are you from uh, get, getting it out on the road? So we are, uh, I, I was saying that we were working in uh, other markets like smart monitoring, and this is uh, going to be delivered to first customers at the beginning of 2020. So very soon. Uh, from automotive, we are targeting 2020, but more in the second half than in the first half uh, to uh, selected partners, not uh, general availability. Because as I was saying, we are not targeting the robot taxi research and development or, or, or robotics research and development. We are targeting more the series production of cars. And the only way to do that is with, uh, we think, our opinion is to work uh, correctly with tier one suppliers. So we are working in, in this context to deliver during the next year. Um, so isn't it, wouldn't it be kind of a expensive for a company if you're targeting the ADAS? I mean, and maybe I'm way off on what like the pricing is, but it, it seems like maybe adding this into a vehicle for ADAS might be costly. Um, so what is, I know you probably can't talk specifically about your price, but maybe you could um, provide at least some understanding about why an automaker would, would besides, you know, adding this extra capability, there are price constraints, right? And um, so how do you see that working out, like on the business side for um, approaching ADAS first? I mean, there's a lot more opportunity, right? But 
if it's if it makes a car more expensive, some automakers might not be so interested. So the normally what happens is almost the opposite. They're not really us saying us how much this is going to cost, so I can decide if it's too expensive or not. Uh, usually, it's the opposite is I am not going to spend more than that. Can you do it or not? Or what can you do for that? Because no way I'm going to spend more than X uh, because I don't know how to sell this to my own customers because otherwise my car is going to be much more expensive or I can only put it in premium cars. So the, the market is not going to be so big. So the price also, or the cost is not going to get uh, economies of scale, etc., etc. So the of course, if we are targeting the ADAS is because we think that the uh, the solution we are building is structurally cost effective, and I can give you uh, one reason why we are saying that. Yeah, when you compare to something that can could be comparable to create a three D image, even if you understood that we are doing more than just creating a three D image, but just comparing to that, and you compare to lidar. If you want to do a, a, a lidar solution, normally you you need several laser sources. If you take very known LiDAR solutions that are out there, they are using 16, uh, 64, 128 lasers, etc., to create enough data that, uh, of course, each laser has a receiver, has a processing pipeline, etc., etc. All this means cost and Size, yeah, and power consumption, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What we are doing here is using a single laser and single detector uh, solution. So you cannot do less than one. Yeah. So uh, in, in the, the simplest uh, way you can use, if you want to make a laser-based three D solution, is one la- one emitter and one receiver. Et so there are several reasons like this example where um, we are why we are saying that we are targeting the right cost and, and just another important reason is that one uh, component of the cost of any device that you put in a car is not only the cost of the raw material it's also the process to build it and if the process to build the device cannot be fully automated or almost, is, there's no way you can get to the volumes and cost uh, that are comparable, let's say, with, uh, with the, the target of OEMs. So one of the main components of what we are building is uh, to be sure that uh, everything, all the components, etc., can be uh, really uh, manufactured and integrated in a fully automated way. Well, this has been uh, really fascinating. Like I said, I, I, I've been I've been fascinated with this idea um, since the first time I heard about your company. I've spoken several times now. This is this is I, I think really interesting. Um, and we uh, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on and explain this to uh, to us. If people want to know more about uh, about outside or or want to want to get in touch with you, um, what what's the best way for them to do that? You have a website, social media. Best way is to look at our website. 
outside.tech, T-E-C-H, where we also explained a lot about uh, what we are doing and how, because uh, we are fully aware that for some people this could uh, seems like uh, magic. It's not magic. It's just science and engineering. So we made the effort of trying to explain uh, the technical components and how it works in our website. So they, you can take a look and get more details. Well, um, Raul Bravo, thank you so much for, uh, for being here and for uh, walking, th- walking us through this, answering our questions. Um, like I said, really, really fascinating stuff. And um, I'm really excited to see uh, wh- where you guys go with this, uh, this, this new technology. Thank you. And before we go, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Atonicast is currently um, uh, doing uh, our first ever uh, listener survey. Uh, if you enjoy the show, uh, if you enjoy hearing about uh, companies and technologies like like the one we featured today, um, please help us out by uh, taking just a few minutes uh, to share some of your information with us. Um, it, this will help us sort of get sponsorship and and just continue to improve the show. Um, and it's really the, 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 the main thing you can do to support the Atonicast right now. So, um, thanks for, for going. It's, you can find that at uh, atonicast.com slash survey. Um, and we really appreciate, uh, all of our listeners as well as, uh, our guests like, like Raul. Um, and, uh, thank you for your support. And, uh, we will see you here again on another episode of the Atonicast. <laughs>